Well, today we're starting a new sermon series that's called Alignment. And in life, you will, over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to be walking through the, the book of Colossians. And I pray that you come away empowered and come away encouraged. Because as we journey through life, there are going to be things that life is going to chuck at you to try and take you out of alignment. And if we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves aligning to the wrong thing. And so we need the Word of God to continue to teach us and show us how we stay in alignment with who God has called us to be and where He wants us to be. And so today I'm kicking off that uh, sermon series for us today. You can go on here, take your Bible apps out, your sermon notes. We're going to pray. God, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And God, we love Your Word. We cherish Your Word. And we thank You, God, that Your Word will be the thing that will continue to direct us in this time that we are in, in these seasons, Lord that we are in. And so I pray, God, that your word would jump out of scripture and speak to us, Lord, that it will begin to uh, have legs, Lord, and legs, Lord, and that it'll become, will come alive in our lives, Lord, as we walk it out. We thank you, God, for your word. This morning, we bring ourselves under the authority of your word, and God, we say, we love your word. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. When I was about the age of nine, we were at our pastor's house and we were preparing for White Sunday. White Sunday is this day where all of the young people, they run the services and we celebrate them. And so the young people would lead worship, they would preach, they would lead us in communion, they would, you know, recite scripture, they would sing songs, do all sorts of uh, items and that. And so we were preparing for this at our pastor's house. In the middle of our practice, we had a break. And so me and my friends, we dashed for the trampoline. And I'm telling you, now that I think about it, this was probably a gymnastics trampoline because we were jumping at heights that I've never been able to soar in my own strength. It was incredible. But back in the day, we didn't believe in a thing called health and safety. And so we didn't have poles or nets to try and catch us if we fell off. All we had at the pastor's house was like a uh, rose bush on this side and then a lemon tree on the other side. And then we had this concrete path that just randomly came out of under the trampoline and went around the pastor's house. And so me and my friends decide we're going to go and jump. Now, one of our other friends, brave as, this guy decides I'm going to, we should do a double somersault flip. So him and, you know, one of our other friends start to, to jump and they do the double somersault flip easy as. A couple of our other friends jump on to try and do it. You know, like they did a jump and a half, didn't quite get there. And now they're all looking at me. Yo, you need to jump on and, and do a double, double somersault flip. And I'm like, no, no, no. But in that moment, the pressure got real. They're like, well, you can't hang out with us if you're not going to jump on here and do a double somersault. We don't hang around with chickens around here. And so I had a decision to make, feeling the utmost pressure Either I jump and I'm so afraid I'm, I don't want to be jumping or I lose my friends and they call me chicken for all of my days. And I wasn't really down with that. So I thought, you know what? I'm no chicken. I'm going to jump on the trampoline and I'm going to show you that I can do this. Now, when you jump on the trampoline, there's a certain way that you have to land in order for you to keep going up. Well, I landed and I went forward into a flip. And I can remember this like it was yesterday. I flipped over, I jumped over and I landed right on that concrete, that little you know, pathway that came out from under the trampoline on my back. In that moment, have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Where you're absolutely, when you're like, oh, oh, and so I'm laying there and I'm like, oh, you know, dying and my friends just, you know, leave me. And I'm there on the, on the pathway by myself. But then I hear my grandma. My grandma comes out. And in that moment, all of Otahu who heard my voice, I screamed to the top of my lungs. My grandma's coming and straight away I'm like, yes, rescue. You need to understand that my grandma is Samoan through and through. And when she's on her way, I'm looking to her to console me and to comfort me, to check on me. And as grandma is coming closer, not only did I feel the pain from the concrete that I'm lying on, I felt grandma's aroha. You know, as she picked me up by my ear, took me on inside and showed me some more aroha. 
and some more aroha and some more aroha, you know. But the moral of the story is this. When you are being pressured into doing things in order to fit in and to be seen as one of the boys and to be recognized as part of the crew, you need to be sure that you, in your saying yes to them, that you're not saying no to who you are and who God's called you to be. There's a quote that says that peer pressure is the pressure that we put on ourselves to try and fit in. And it's absolutely true. When we allow ourselves to sit in an environment that reeks of peer pressure, what we're really doing is putting the pressure on ourselves to try and fit in. Because you sit in that environment long enough, you end up entertaining the ideas and the thoughts. You sit in it long enough, you end up compromising. You sit in it long enough, you end up doing whatever it takes just to fit in. Have you noticed that the church is under a lot of pressure right now? Have you noticed that the church is being peer pressured into compromising? Have you noticed that the church is being peer pressured into sugarcoating certain things in order to be politically correct? The church is being peer pressured into lowering her standards. The church is being peer pressured to respond in the ways that society deems proper. And so in a time where the pressure is on, in a time where the world is looking to the church, talking about how is she going to respond? What are they going to do? In a world of cancel culture and hashtag boycott, what are we supposed to do? What are we, the church, supposed to do when society starts to put the pressure on? What do we do when we start to feel the pressure from outside to water down our message? What do we do when we start to feel the pressure to give up a little bit in order to stay relevant? What do we do when we feel the pressure to compromise? How do we resist the pressure? Let's encourage ourselves with the Word of God. Colossians 1 verse 3 to 12, and I want you to go away and I want you to read that, that whole chapter, but here's what uh, it says. We always, this is Paul, the author of this text. He says, we always pray for you, the church in Colossae. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have heard, you have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news, the gospel. This same good news that came to you was going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epiphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Verse 11, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. May you be filled with joy always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in this inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let me give you some context. Paul wrote many of his letters to churches who were struggling with pretty much the same thing. The churches that Paul cared so much about existed in a world that looks very much like our world today. The churches would have felt the pressures of society to water down Jesus in order to be accepted. They felt the pressures from within the church, from those who were trying to move Christianity towards religion. And so the churches at the time are being pulled into all sorts of different directions. The church is being pressured to change what they believe in order to be accepted by society. And one of the letters that Paul wrote was to the church in the city of Colossae that we've read today. Now, a person named Epiphras heard Paul preach the gospel, and upon accepting the gospel and placing his faith in Jesus, 
Epaphras went to Colossae. When he got there, Epaphras couldn't keep Jesus out of his mouth. He told everybody about Jesus. And so, so many people continue to be added to the faith. And that was how this church in Colossae was born. Now, this new church that had just started up is now being pulled in all sorts of different directions. People put the pressure on this new church to change its ways and to change to something that was more pleasant to the people around them. So the Colossian church is a great example for the Christian church today. We both exist in a world that's changing. We both exist in a world that's pressuring the church to change. We both exist in a world that insists that Christians need to catch up with society. We both are surrounded by a society that, for the most part, goes against what we believe. So the letter to the Colossians is as much to us today as it was to the Colossians almost 2,000 years ago. And so in a society where the church in Colossae is under pressure, Paul encourages them by focusing on qualities that the church already had from the beginning. And so verse 3 all the way to verse 12, Paul is focusing on these qualities that would help the Colossian church resist the pressure from society. And I believe these same qualities are going to help us today. Quality number one, the Colossian church were focused on the gospel. They focused on the gospel. Many scholars of the word believe that Paul had never been to Colossae. They believe that much of what he knew about what was happening and the pressure that they were coming up under uh, came by word of mouth. And so when he opens his letter, he doesn't even waste time. He says, I've heard of your faith in Jesus. Paul knew that the church in Colossae trusted in Jesus. He knew that they were saved and that they were believers. Not only that, but Paul goes on to say, we've heard of, of your love for all of God's people. Paul heard that the church in Colossae were a church who had love for all of God's people. A sure sign of whether Jesus is real in your life or not is how you love people. And this church in Colossae, they were good at loving people. The church in Colossae wasn't just solid in their faith, they were solid in their love for people. And it came from the fact that they focused on the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It was the gospel that kept the church in Colossae focused and immune from drifting away and compromising. It was the gospel that kept the church in Colossae from falling into false teachings. It was the gospel that kept the church in Colossae from being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. I want to encourage you this morning. If we're going to be a people who don't just easily give in and cave into the pressure of today, then we have to maintain our focus on the gospel. Because the world will tell you it's dumb to keep on believing in some supernatural God. The world will tell you it's silly to think that it's some man who lived 2,000 years ago can still influence your life today. The world will tell you that you are crazy to believe that someone named Jesus came back from the dead. The world will tell you that you need to just let people come as they are and then leave them as they are. And yes, come as you are. Come with your brokenness. Come with your mess. Come with your hurt. Bring your fears. Bring your struggle. Bring your pain. Come as you are, but you need to know you're not going to stay as you are. Because when God gets hold of you, you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. When God gets hold of you, the old has passed. Behold, the new has come. When God gets hold of you, He places a new heart and a new spirit within you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come as you are, but you're not going to stay as you are. The world will tell you that you need to just focus on the sunny day, focus on the butterflies, focus on the rainbows. The world will tell you not to bring that supernatural stuff into the conversation. The world will tell you that your message is going to put you on the fringes of society. But we need to remember 
Christianity is all about the gospel. The gospel is the good news that has come from God. It's not something that was originated by a church or a churchgoer or an organization. Paul says in Romans 1, it's the gospel of God. And this gospel at its absolute core is all about Jesus. His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so when the world starts to put the pressure on by challenging you with all sorts of ideologies and new age philosophies, When the world starts to challenge your faith, your values, your standards, and tries to pull you away from God, church, focus on the gospel. Yes, Yes, there really was a Jesus. There really is a Jesus. Yes, he walked the planet he created. Yes, he set the standard for right living. Yes, he was nailed to a cross. Yes, there is sin that needed to be atoned for. Yes, Jesus came back to life after three days. Yes, Jesus still lives today. Yes, he not only saves us, but he holds us accountable. Yes, there is an eternal separation from God by those who refuse to put their faith and trust in Jesus. You see, there's no room for compromise with the gospel because either Jesus is who he is or he's not at all. Either Jesus did what he said he did or he didn't do that at all. Church, we can't lose our focus from the gospel. We can't afford to change our focus just so that we could fit in. Jesus is the only hope that this world has, and to shift our focus from the gospel would be to align ourselves with hopelessness. But when the world starts to turn up the heat, when pressure gets all too real, we ought to be like the Apostle Paul and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. When the world tries to pressure you and pull you in all sorts of directions, church, focus on the gospel. Number two, Focus on pursuing God's will. The church in Colossae were focused on pursuing God's will. Paul prayed that they would come to the knowledge and truth and love would continue to come from God. He prayed that they would have an intimate personal relationship with the Lord. He prayed that the church in Colossae would continue to be led by the Spirit. They wanted God. Uh, they, They wanted to know God's will and His direction. They wanted to be right in the center of what God was doing in the city of Colossae. They wanted to be the ones to counteract the pressure from the world to change. If we're gonna people who just like the Colossians resist the pressure of society, then we need to focus on pursuing God's will. And to do that, we need to know God better than we do. We need to make Him and His will our primary pursuit and goal in life. One of the things that I've come to realize in my short time of living is that we ultimately learn and come to know God's will through four things. We know God's will for our lives through His Word. We know God's will for our lives through prayer. We learn God's will through community and the body of believers, but also we learn God's will through circumstances, the things that happen in our lives. You know, I was doing my second year internship at Elam Leadership College, and on one of the nights, we had Lynn Butner, who was a very respected prophetic voice in the body of Christ, and he was there ministering. And so on this particular night, I logged into the session, and he opens with, brother, you've been a bit of a Jonah but the Lord's caught up with you. And then he goes on to say, uh, things are gonna change for you in terms of ministry. What normally happens in five years is gonna happen in one year. What normally happens in months is gonna happen in a matter of weeks for you. You are going to lead a church. This was before I even led a church. You're gonna lead a church. Not only that, he continued to encourage me. And I thought, man, sir, you need to just, you know, calm the farm. Within a couple of weeks, Pastor Boyd, who is the former lead pastor of our church, and uh, he is the current national leader of our Elam movement, incredible pastor, he calls me into his office, and he says, he starts talking about, you know, if I was to walk out of church and get hit by a bus, you're the man for the job. Again, I'm like, what's wrong with these people? Y'all need to just bring it down a notch. 
The next day, I get called into a meeting with Pastor Luke and Pastor Steve, and they're saying, Pastor Boyd has resigned, and we want you to leave the Manurewa campus. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. What is happening? But then I do the churchy thing, and I go, "Uh, can I just go away and pray about it? And I did. I went away, saw God's face, and I said, God, what do you want me to do? What is your will for me here? Let me know. And as I was studying in the Word, uh, I kept coming. uh, I was reading about, you know how Moses kept coming back to God. Oh, but I don't know how to speak. And God was like, I'm going to be with you. Oh, but what about this? I'm going to be with you. Oh, but what about this? I'm going to be with you. Oh, what about and so I was like, you know when we do that thing where we read ourselves into the, into the text? Moses, this is me. You know, <laughs> I'm being a bit of a Moses. That's what I was doing. But as I was seeking the face of God, I heard him say, open Joshua chapter one. So I opened the Bible and it says, one of the first thing it says is, Moses, my, my servant is dead. Get up now and lead the, the people of Israel across to the Jordan River to where I'm leading you. And I sat there and I laughed and I was like, Maybe I heard wrong. Maybe I didn't hear the right thing because, first of all, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Pastor Boyd wasn't dead. The second thing was, it said, uh, you're going to lead the people into the land I'm giving you. And I thought, are we re- relocating? Is Manurewa, you know, campus moving to a, a flasher place or something like that? I don't know. But I, I just continue to pray and seek the Lord's face. And then I, do, I did what we all do. I go, Lord, if this is really you, give me another sign. So I said, here's the sign. Instead of him giving me the sign, I was like, here's your sign, Lord. Uh, I want you to give the same scripture to two other people. But I'm telling you, while I was in that space, those were some of the deepest moments of prayer I've ever experienced in my life. And so a few days later, I received this text message from Pastor Boyd. I don't know if he was being funny or if he was trying to crack a joke, but he sends me this text message and he goes, Don, I really feel that Joshua chapter one is for you. And I'm like, lo and behold, Moses, my servant, is dead. Get up and go and leave the people. And so I'm like, okay, this other day on Sunday, I come to church and um, there was this particular lady who, you know, every time I got up to lead worship and I went to sit down, she would come up to me at the end of service and she'd be like, I couldn't worship. Your shirt was just way too loud. It was bright. I couldn't fix my eyes at Jesus. Don't worry, I've, 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 given, I've been given the clearance to share this and in the manner that I'm sharing it. And I said, uh, so oftentimes she'd come up to me and say those things to me. And I'm like, oh, so this Sunday, she, I, I see her coming and I'm like, I'm not about to do that today. I'm gonna <laughs> just go over here and hide somewhere. But then I went into the music room and then I started hiding. I was like, man, if this lady tells me one more time she couldn't worship because of my shirt, I don't know. Anyways, I come out and she was standing there waiting. And then she leans over to me and she goes, I think that you need to go and read Joshua chapter one. And I'm like, you know those moments where you do something and you fail and then you're like, and then someone's like, uh-huh. that, that, that was that moment. But as she was saying, go read Joshua chapter one. I wanted to say, no, you go read Joshua chapter one, you know. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't do that. I didn't. Yeah. But. I was just like, man, God, God, God did it, you know. And then a few days later, I'm in my quiet time. I'm continuing to seek the Lord. And I began to draw out a timeline of my life. And I could not help but be brought to tears because I realized that all throughout my life, nothing was wasted in the Lord. It was all part of God's purpose and His will for my life. Working at the bank wasn't wasted. I was learning how to deal with people from different backgrounds. Leading a customer service team wasn't wasted. I was learning how to lead a team. Knocking on the doors on Jellico up and down the road, sharing Jesus with strangers, that wasn't wasted. I was learning how to lead people to Jesus. My dad, who was pastoring the church, who walked away from our family, walked away from ministry, that wasn't wasted because God took a situation that the enemy meant for evil and he turned it around for my good. I was learning to trust that God would restore the years that the locusts had eaten away. 
my going to China and India for short-term missions, that wasn't wasted. I was learning that I had built my life on my dad's approval and God was shaking things up because he needed to be first in my life. My leaving the church that I'd grown up in, that my parents pastored in, that I served in for 18 years, that wasn't wasted. I was learning what it means to develop the next generation and pass on the baton. My coming to Manurewa, my serving in the worship team, my doing an internship, it wasn't wasted. I was learning what it means to sit under a covering of grace and to be cared for and nourished by every single one of you incredible people whom I call family. I realized that all throughout my life, in my pursuit of God's will, I found the answer in the Word of God. I found the encouragement to carry on in prayer. I found encouragement in community with others. I found the faith to carry on as I looked at my situation through the lens of God's Word. You see, the truth is when you pursue God's will for your life, it's going to have you going to the Word. It's going to have you going to prayer. It's going to have you building deep and meaningful connections with people. It's going to have you looking at the circumstances in your life through the lens of God's Word. And in the moments where you find yourself in the middle of the storm, in the moments where your father or your mother or your spouse may walk away from you, in moments where friends may scoff at your brokenness, in moments where you might have to eat wheat bricks and noodles and, and bread for a couple of weeks, in moments where, you, where nobody seems to want to employ you, in moments where the world is pressuring you to walk away from God, you will keep the faith. Why? Because you're in the Word. You may have to cry a little bit, but you will keep the faith. You may have to say goodbye to a few friends, but you'll keep the faith. You may have to endure a little pain sometimes, but you will keep the faith. Why? Because you are fixed on pursuing God's will. And you know that the pressure that you feel from all around you is only trying to take you off course. But let me tell you, church, the more you pursue God's will, the more you will find yourself in His Word, in prayer, in deep connection, in the Word of God. And so when the pressure gets all too real, you weren't easily given. Why? Because you're in the Word. You weren't given so easily. Why? Because you're in the Word. You won't just react to everything that's happening. Why? Because you're in prayer. You won't be easily discouraged. Why? Because you're doing life in community with the family of God. Church, the pressure is on. The world out there is like a major storm right now. And when you're in the middle of the storm, you will not be able to see because the storm will mess with your vision. The storm will mess with how you see things. It will mess with your mind. It will mess with you. That's why the Bible says, walk by faith and not by sight. To walk by faith is to pursue the will of God, even if it looks like you're in the middle of the storm. Because the storm is not the one that's going to say it's over. But faith, because the storm will say it's over, but faith will say it's not over till God says it's over. If we're going to resist the pressure of society to compromise, we need to focus on pursuing God's will. Third and finally, focused on living right. The church in Colossae, they were focused on living right. You need to understand that there's a difference between being made right and living right. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be made right with God. Jesus took what we deserved on the cross, and so we receive that gift of being made right by grace through faith. That's called being made right. Now, if we try and live right in order to be saved, we're going to find ourselves sorely mistaken. Living right is not what saves you. Faith in Jesus saves you. But the reason we live right is because we've been made right. You see, Paul prayed that the church in Colossae would continue to live a worthy life. He prayed that they would focus on good work. He prayed that they would do the good that Jesus called them to. Paul also prayed that the church in Colossae would continue to bear fruit. He prayed that people, even in a society like theirs, would see their lives and come to Jesus because of them. Paul prayed that the church in Colossae would continue to live according to what they knew about God. He prayed that they would live according to what they had already experienced God doing in them. 
can I encourage you, church? There's no time in all of history that needs people living a godly life than right now. When you look out at the world today, no one seems to really know what good is anymore. Good changes according to who you talk to and the mood that they're in that day. The world is calling the bad thing good and the good thing bad. The world needs examples of people who know what it is to live right, who know what it is to live good. And I'm not even talking about that chase the paper, make it rain, make it rain mess. No, I'm talking about the kind of good living that's chasing Jesus, the kind of good living that's chasing holiness, the kind of good living that's fleeing from sin. I'm talking about the kind of living good that's not conformed to the patterns of the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm talking about the kind of living good that seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the kind of living good that functions as good as it looks. Church, the best way for you to resist the pressure of the world to, le- to live the way it deems right, you need to focus on living right. And so how do you focus on living right? Number one, you do it by depending on God. In order for us to live right, it requires absolute reliance on God. The only reason a boat can get, can get anywhere is because it's on the water. It can't move forward if there's no water. It can't move backwards if there's no water. It can't get nowhere. In order for a boat to get anywhere, it needs to be resting on the water. Living right is all about resting in God, depending on God. Living right is not a work of the flesh. It's not something that we can accomplish on our own. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The reason we can live right It's because we have Jesus living on the inside of us by the Spirit. We rely on His leading. We rely on His guiding. We rely on His directing. How do we live right? You live right by getting your thinking right. We are what we think. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That means that you start to act out in the way that you think. If you think fear, you start acting out in fear. If you think negativity, you start acting out in negativity. If you think anger, you start acting out in anger. If you think sin, you start acting out in sin. So in order for us to get our thinking right, We ought to line our thinking and our thought life up against the Word of God. When our minds are full of the Word of God, guess what? We start to live out the Word of God. Psalm 119, 11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist is demonstrating his love for God's Word by hiding the Word of God in his heart. To hide the Word of God in your heart is not just to memorize it and then recall it to memory. It extends to living out the Word of God. How do you live right? You live right by obeying. Not obeying out of fear, but obeying out of love for God. Not obeying out of bondage, but obeying as a child of God. Not obeying out of constraint, but out of faith. James 4, 17 says this, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. James is saying to the people that he's writing to, now that you know what is right, do right. It's as simple as that. Turn to the person next to you and say, you know what it is. If I can ask Daniel to join me on the keys. As the church, we are called to live good, godly lives. Not because it causes God to love us more. We live godly lives because we love God more. And the world needs examples. Church, will you be an example to the world today? Quit waiting for people godly enough and good enough to show up in your world so that they can reflect Jesus to them. You are the people you've been waiting for. Nobody else is coming, it's you. And so can I encourage you, church, 
Whenever you start to feel like you're coming under pressure to fit into what society says you should do in order to be accepted, whenever you feel like you're coming out of alignment of who God has called you to be, and you're starting to align yourself with the world, here's how you realign yourself back to God. You focus on the gospel, focus on pursuing God's will, and you focus on living right. Because when you're doing these three things, man, you don't have the time to be checking out what the Kardashians are having for breakfast because you're focused on the gospel, focused on pursuing God's will and living right. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, you may be here and you're saying, oh, I need to focus on the gospel. And if that's you and you don't know what it means to give your heart to Jesus and make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to give you this opportunity this morning. You need to know that God loves you and he created you. God created you, the God of this universe, the God who created this entire universe. He created you on purpose for a purpose. He created you to know him and he created you to come in loving fellowship with him. But you see, the Bible talks about this thing that's called sin. Sin is the thing that keeps us disconnected. It keeps us separated and it keeps us away from God. But not only that, the Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. But my friend, it didn't stop there because God in his grace, he sent his only son, Jesus, so that anybody, everybody who would believe in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself that penalty of sin, for sin. He, he took on himself what we were due for our sin. And so right now, he extends to every single one of us forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with him in heaven. But you see, we must turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. Put our faith in Jesus. Put our trust in Jesus for everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, I want to give my heart to God. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to come into loving fellowship with God. If that's you and you're saying that's me, I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand and you can put it down straight away. And you know what? You don't have to be shy or afraid up in here. Nobody in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who have been saved by grace. But we want you to know we're right here with you and we've got your back. And so if that's you and you're saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I'm going to count to three. You can put your hand up and put it down straight away. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. There's one more thing I want you to do. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. But I also need you to know, my sis, this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. This prayer is just an expression of you putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for the sister that gave her heart to Jesus this morning. We're so proud of you. Congratulations and welcome home.